Patriots fans, and welcome to another edition of Patriots Beat. I am your host, Jeff Kane at Boston Fat Guy. Joining me, as always, is Bob Snowden at Snowden Bob. And, of course, you can follow the podcast at Patriots Beat and CLNS Radio at CLNS Radio. Big show coming up for you tonight. We have our friend Chris Price from WEEI.com, as well as on Twitter at, at CPriceNFL. We'll talk a lot of things about the New England Patriots with him, from the woes of the offensive line to how the defense can get better and how the offense can get better as well, because we know it's been a tough trek starting out here at 2-2. Two and two. Oh, man, Monday night, Bob, really tough, don't you think? Oh, right. I'm glad I didn't have to do the postgame show. I can tell you that. Uh, I was so depressed. It was probably hard. You know what? I'm going to give our our friend Patrick Shankauer a little plug here. Uh, At CLS Patrick, who uh, was my co-host and actually the lead host for the Patriots postgame show, on uh, Sunday night, or actually Monday night this week, um, he really took a crappy venue, crappy day, and, and actually did a good job with it. I was ready to jump off the Gillette Stadium light tower um, and murder everyone in sight. Oh, I was, you and I were kind of tweeting and, and direct messaging back and forth during the game, and I kept thinking, man, I don't want to hear Jeff when this game ends. Oh, well, you know, it's it's... I remember, and you too, Bob, I know you do, just all those bad, bad years the New England Patriots had, especially uh, the the time from 19, I want to say 88, I want to think it is, when Victor Kayan bought the team through, uh, you know, really 1990, really before they really became competitive every year was really 96, but just some of those bad teams. I don't want that to come back. We've been so spoiled here. Uh, since Bob Kraft bought this team in 1994, that I don't want to go back to badness. <laughs> and, I, I'm, and with was, I'm with you. I'm with you, partner. Was, it was bad, and you know what? And, and everyone looked bad. Even our hero, Tom Brady, looked pedestrian at best. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about this, and the talking heads throughout uh, Boston media have been talking about, is Brady under the decline, and, and is it the offensive line? Well, you know, we'll talk to Chris about that, but... My well, thought on this is good things that were came out. What Number one, Garoppolo <laughs> came in. Now he was playing against a very soft defense. So everyone who was going, well, good God, look what he's doing. Brady couldn't do that. It's an unfair matchup. By that stage, Kansas City was so far ahead. They were playing the prevent the other team from scoring 35 points defense. And, and, you know, Garoppolo was great. I'm not knocking him, but you can't do the comparison. They weren't blitzing. They weren't doing a lot no, of the you, things they had done earlier. But You can't, but at the same point, i got to give Jimmy G something right now. He came out. He directed an offense on his first drive, first score, um, you know, and really looked good and hit a lot of different wide receivers, and the ball came out fast. I, I really think right now, and I'm not ready to put Jimmy G in and say, see you later, Tom Brady. I really think right now it's a little bit of a psych issue with Tom. Oh, um, I agree. You know, and I wasn't knocking Jimmy G because I did think he was great. I thought on, he he's was decisive, that he you know, he made Brandon LaFell into, into a player that we now can look at and say, hey, this guy does have the skills that we thought he may have uh, and showed them. And so I, I, that was, you know, one of the high points I thought to, was that he wasn't intimidated. He came in, took control, moved the ball well, 
Um, and the other positive was LaFell. I thought LaFell showed that, hang on, if other things happen properly, he does have the skill to catch the ball and to break tackles and get yards after yes. the catch. That uh, that little streak, that not streak, but uh, slant pass that he took from Tom Brady to the house, we've been waiting for something like that. And uh, he's got the size, and he has some decent speed. So Brandon LaFell might have just become your number two wide receiver. And we'll talk about that with Chris Price. We'll also talk about that together. But, Bob, Danny Amendola, two weeks ago you said he was going to be the breakup performer. Uh, I really now with with – Basically, next week needing a roster spot. Um, of course, the Patriots have two exemptions this week with uh, with Brandon uh, Browner and um, and Brian Timms. They get basically a week to kind of decide what they're going to do. So they'll have 55 players. But it's Fisher cut bait time with Danny Amendola. He's bringing absolutely nothing to the table. And uh, Miguel's cap. Uh, Page. I don't know if you've ever uh, checked it out. Uh, our friend uh, Miguel from PatsFans.com. He's got uh, he's got PatsCap.com. Uh, Amendola is three point two million dollars if you cut him, and three point six million dollars if you keep him on the team right now. There's plenty of money to be had cutting. They have a little over eleven million dollars. Why keep a guy on a team who's just he's just not performing? I can't answer that, and I have been an Amendola defender since they first signed him. And I wanted him to do great. Kept waiting for something to happen. I was shocked, in all honesty, I was shocked uh, Monday night that he wasn't on the inactive list and was just as shocked that Aaron Dobson and Kendrell Tompkins were because in my thought pattern going into the game, Amendola was the odd man out because he hadn't done anything. And we'll get into the yeah. Dobson issue with Chris, too, because there's oh. a lot lot to discuss about that. You know, one of the there things is. when we when we start each of our shows and when we're putting together the data, we look at history a lot and what the Patriots have done on Monday night or Sunday night. This year, I don't know if we can look at history as as giving us any indication of what will happen because it's been such a such a an erratic team. So I, I'm looking at this list of bullet points on you know the Patriots are the NFL best 37 and nine during the month of October since 2003, and they when they traveled to Cincinnati. Uh, uh, with a 4-0 record and failed to score a touchdown in the 13-6 to loss last year, or any of the various stats, they don't mean anything right now because this team is so different than Patriots teams in the past. What do you think? Well, that's one of the things that I've been trying to wrap my head around. I mean, we saw them collapse week one against the uh, Miami Dolphins, and, and, and you could make the excuse. You could make the excuse that, you know, it was the heat, the conditioning, and, and that's the reason. And then they came out, and they, you know, they looked pretty good against Minnesota. They didn't look great, but the defense looked good, and the offense was able to score 30 points. However, it was helped greatly by, by defense and special teams. Uh, in fact, uh, I believe one of the uh, – Seven of the points were were a uh, interception return. If I'm I'm sorry, the block punt return yep. uh, by the special teams, and then the interception return down to the one yard line. But you started to see some signs that the defense was real, especially last week against the Oakland Raiders, where they let up nine points and they're all over the field and and you know they're making plays. And then this week, it's just 
it all went back to week one. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't stop the screen. They couldn't stop passes. Alex Smith, Smith was 20 of 26. Uh, he looked like Johnny Unitas out there. He did look like Johnny Unitas. And Alex Smith is a good quarterback. I mean, he's not a top five quarterback, but he's the type of quarterback that can win in Andy Reid's system. And he looked phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal on the on the night, on Monday night. So I, I don't know if you can look with history right now. We don't know what's going to happen with this offensive line. I, of course, was very excited to see Brian Stork get uh, you know his first start in the NFL. I thought he handled himself pretty well. Not phenomenal, but, but well enough. Um, and, and we saw a little bit of things starting to happen, but then we still saw the team not finish. And we still saw the same issues that have been hitting them all year long where they haven't made those halftime adjustments. So I'm wondering now, even though we're only a quarter of the way through the season, if the Patriots have what it takes to make those adjustments, I'm going to err on the side of caution and and, and be cautiously optimistic. I do believe they can. I do believe that it's only a matter of time before this offensive line figures its way out. You know, Tom Brady, it's only a matter of time before he sees someone other than Edelman. And it's only a matter of time before, you know, Josh McDaniels realizes it's okay to hand the ball off. And and the thing that I look at, I'm not too, I'm not as confident as you are that the offense will become um a strength of the team. Well, I don't think I'm, it's gonna be a strength. But, but but I think defense, and, and you and I have said this many times, especially in the preseason, defense, I look at them and think, man, the talent is there on defense. Chandler Jones had a bad game uh, Monday night. When's the last time he had a bad game? And he did not play well. Uh, no, he didn't. Jekyll Hines here. Yeah. I mean, the players that you know, Jamie Collins hasn't had a good game yet this year. The players that you look at and say, there's a lot of skilled talent on the defense. So I can see that going to the keys in the games as they go forward. But I don't see that in the offensive line. I'm not too sure the talent is there. I'm glad to see Stork there. They started Fleming, um, and, and he got partially injured, so he came out fairly soon, but then I think went back in later on in the game. But but that offensive line, I'm not convinced the talent is there or their coaching is there. And again, we're going to talk to Chris about this, I'm certain. The coaching is there to, to bring the best out of the talent. And when you look at these this Bengals, there's a couple of things that are kind of scary. One of the things I'm going to ask Chris is about the opening drives, because the Patriots have been terrible uh, on the opening drive, and Cincinnati has trailed for only 48 seconds. That's insane. Hey, yeah. That is absolutely insane. So, you know, if you don't score... And they're coming drive, off the bye weeks. Huh? And they're coming and they're off, coming of, off the, the bye weeks. Yeah, so they're, they're, they've had two weeks to prepare, and they've seen the Patriots, unfortunately, at their worst. Uh, well, I'm going to sit there and just say one thing here, Bob. The Patriots sit at 2-2, two and two. And it's a little scary, and we all realize that the the defense needs to, to lead them. We need this defense to become the 2003 New England Patriots defense. The 2003 New England Patriots team started 2-2. Two two. We remember uh, a 31 to nothing absolute blowout loss 
to the Buffalo Bills back when they hated their coach from Tom Jackson when they released uh, Lawyer Malloy. Well, they traded Logan Mankins, and they were two and two after uh, three games in 2003. Two and two after three. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't even add. Two and two, two after two four after three games. games. That's a great yeah. team. <laughs> Thank you, Keith Tech, Framingham, Massachusetts. You really helped me succeed. And to the Natick Public Schools, who should have taught me that two plus two is four. <laughs> no, but let's talk about that real quick because the Patriots were two and two that year, and then ripped off. You know, a fourteen and two record, and went to the to the Super Bowl. And as I said, you know, I don't think the Patriots' offense can be a strength of the team. But if you go back and look at the stats, and I know I only use stats when they look in my favor. I know, Bob. I know that's what you're gonna say. Me? But that was uh, what? What I? Yeah, I know. You see, I know. I know. Let's talk about this a little bit because back then, Tom Brady was not what he is today, and. Uh, Brady only completed 60.2% of his passes that year, a, a, a number that he's right around right now. He's actually below that. Only had 23 touchdown passes, 3,600-plus yards, and the big thing was sacked 32 times. So that's twice a game there. Uh, he's obviously been sacked a little more than that this year. But, um, that's worth it. You thank the school <laughs> system again. Yeah, all right. Thank you, Keith Tech, for letting uh, allow allowing me to know division. I know division, <laughs> and even the uh, even my love beloved running game in in two thousand three wasn't phenomenal. Um, you know, I mean, they ran the ball four hundred and seventy three times um, for sixteen hundred and seven yards and nine touchdowns, three point four yards per carry, but they did average more than 100 yards rushing per game. And, of course, if you can divide 16 into uh, into 47, that's right, right around uh, 29, 16 divided into 473 times. It's right around 29, almost 30 yards uh, carries a game. So let's just hope that the Patriots can, uh, can do that this year and, and rely on a balanced offense because they're going to need it. Well, They're definitely going to need and, it. And again, when you look at this uh, this Cincinnati defense, statistically they're they're not great on defense, but they're solid across the board. Um, and points, they are great. They've only given up eleven points a game. Now they've only played three games, but that's kind of scary. Let's. You want to bring in Chris and see what he's got to say? Yeah, Bob. That sounds like a great idea. Let's bring uh, Let's bring our friend Chris Price on. Well, joining us on the line right now is Chris Price. And, uh, he is, of course, the Patriots beat writer for WEEI.com, and you can't miss his articles. They are absolutely great. Chris, welcome aboard Patriots Beat. Hey, it's my pleasure to be here, guys. Thank you very much for having me. All right, well, before we get into the players and the lack of, well, execution that they've had this uh, this year, let's start right at the top with Bill Belichick. Uh, he's been here for... Many years now, since 2000, and um, he now has an offense coordinator named Josh McDaniels, who has been with the team for many years. This is his second go-around. How much longer is Bill Belichick going to allow Josh McDaniels to play call for make the play calls for basically a team that isn't suited to go with the pass? I think that's a great question. I, I think that the two of them, 
Belichick and McDaniels have a, a long-standing and, and deep professional relationship. They, they've been together for a long time, and I think uh, Bill trusts Josh on a lot of levels. That being said, I, I think that the play calling this year, over the course of the first four games, in my experience, has, has been highly suspect at times. Um, I, I know we've communicated a couple times uh, over Twitter about this, this very thing, and when you look at their reticence to run the ball, particularly in close games, um, I, you know you look at the, the the Miami game when they only ran it I think three times, either three or five times in the fourth quarter. Even though um, at the time, the start of the fourth quarter, it was a three-point game, uh, they they only ran it a handful of times um, down the stretch against Oakland, even against one of the worst run defenses in the league. And the fact that they didn't run it hardly at all, even in nearly going against another softer defense in Cleveland or, or Kansas City, I'm sorry, really, really baffles me. Um, I wrote about it uh, the other day for, for WEI.com that, you know, you, you look at some of the play calls this year, specifically a, an over-reliance at times on the pass, when you have a really intriguing group of running backs. And, and you know, you, you look at guys like Ridley, who's rushed for 1,200 yards. You know, I don't know what you, you know, people don't hold him in that high esteem because of his ball security issues because he's still a quality back who hasn't fumbled in a regular season or a postseason game since last November, I think it is. Um, you look at Shane Vereen, a multidimensional threat who is right now on pace to become the first running back in New England history in 20 years to uh, be a 60-60 guy, a 60-carry, a 60-catch guy in a single season. So um, uh, those guys should be leaned on. They should be leaned on heavily. And, and you know, we talk about the struggle of the offensive line. I think an offensive line can really be shaken up and give him a good jump start by running, by, by run blocking and you know, firing forward instead of firing back. So, um, I think ultimately, to answer your question, I, I think it's it's still a, a work in progress over the course of the year. I, I think that, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, I'll put it this way, if Belichick has more of a hand on the offensive side of the ball going forward. But some of the play calling has been suspect, and, and if it continues down this road, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. They've got another tough game coming Sunday night against the Bengals. It's at home, which gives them a little advantage, but the Bengals – have taken a quick lead in their three wins, and they've only played three games because they had the bye week last week. Yet the Patriots haven't scored on an opening drive this year, Chris. The Pats, I'm probably showing my age, although it doesn't feel that long ago. The Pats used to choreograph that first drive and were so successful, and all of a sudden they just can't seem to get out of their own way on the first drive. Why so many three and outs in that first possession? Is it poor play calling? lack of execution, lack of talent? And and what can they do Sunday night to at least move the ball on their first possession? I think it's a little bit of everything. You know, we, we talked about the struggles early against, uh, you know, Kansas City. And the, you know, they had struggles as well against the Raiders. They had, you know, struggles against Minnesota early on. I, I think that there is, again, an over-reliance on the pass. I think, you know, you, you want to run the ball. You want to establish a dominance on the ground. And you want to establish tempo. I think more than anything, when you're talking about scoring first, you want to establish a tone. You want to establish a tempo. You want to establish control of the game. And you want to let, let that other team know that you're going to be playing that game on your terms, not on their terms. And I think nothing says that more than running the football and putting together a long, sustained drive, a 10, 11, 12-play drive that knocks six or seven minutes off the clock. I just and Ryan Hannibal wrote a great piece for us earlier this week about the slow starts and about the the struggles with the three and outs. And, and, and to your point, Bob, I, I think it's a very good one that those guys have those teams used to be able to put their stamp on games immediately right out of the gate. And now going back really over the last year plus, because we saw a lot of the same thing last year, where they just struggled early. They, they just had major issues right out of the gate. 
And last year they were forced to come back, and more often than not they did come back last year. But I don't think this team has shown the same level of mental toughness that we saw from last year's team. And so when they dig themselves a hole, they, you know, they, they find it awful tough to get out of. So it's, it's going to be interesting, again, to see this team over the course of the year grow and develop and change. Um, but I think that's one of the things that they need to work on, you know, in, in terms of scoring first, in terms of establishing control of the game. You know, again, maybe a more physical presence early on would certainly help. Um, and, again, I think a lot of that goes back to run blocking, a little bit more edge, a little bit more attitude. So, um, yeah, it, it, fast starts are, have become an absolute priority for this team offensively. There's there so many priorities this team, for this team offensively right now, and that's certainly one of them. Oh, Chris, uh, you wrote a great article earlier this week about the Patriots when they run the ball 30 uh, – 100 times for 100 yards or more that they're 39 and one i've always sat there and said when they run the ball 30 times or more in a game they're undefeated over the last two plus seasons but moving on from that is the offensive line it's taken a lot of real criticism late uh, lately for letting uh, brady get hit and not opening up the uh spots for the running back let me ask you this how much of uh it is on the offensive line that they can't make holes and how much of it is on the fact that uh Brady might be declining that he hasn't been uh, playing as well. I think it's probably a little bit more of the former than the latter, although I wouldn't discount the fact that Brady is obviously, you know, he's a 37-year-old quarterback right now who is showing his age. But I think really the larger point, I think it's probably more the first thing, because we, and I honestly believe, I said this to someone the other day, I honestly believe that we've now, what what happened this year is we we've ended up we ended up really over the last decade plus taking that offensive line for granted. You know, it, it really was a, a good offensive line can make an average quarterback good and a good quarterback great. And it's it's such it's so easy to overlook. I mean, it's like a it's like a baseball umpire. If you never say the offensive line's name, you know, if we never say the left tackle's name, you know he's doing a great job. And you know, we never had to say you know Nate Solder's name much over the last couple of years. Now they've fallen on some hard times. So the thing about Brady for me is his age. You look at all of the great quarterbacks over the age of 35 who had great years, and more often than not, they had uh, a stellar offensive option, at least one or two stellar offensive options around them. You know, they weren't counted on to lift their entire team. I think the Patriots, you know, if they had their druthers and things worked out, I think they could look at Gronkowski as that guy, as that game changer, as that offensive, you know, piece that, that, that could lift them up. Uh, you know, pass these other teams and, and help Brady become, you know, the quarterback that he once was and kind of recapture some of that magic. But um, I, I think ultimately to answer your question, I think it's a, a little bit more on the offensive line than it is on Brady, although I wouldn't discount the fact that Brady at the age of 37 is finally looking more and more like a 37-year-old quarterback. The other thing to remember, in the context of this question, Tom Brady was always excellent when it came to pocket awareness, when it came to sensing the rush and moving from one side to another. And in a lot of ways, he was his own best offensive lineman. When, when things would break down, when blocking schemes would break down, he would be able to sense what was going wrong and he could move in the pocket, move left, move right, buy himself a little extra time. He was never the fastest guy in the world, but he could ultimately buy himself some extra time with that pocket awareness. And we're just not seeing that more and more over the course of this season. Well, again, as a person that's getting a little older myself, I know my reaction time isn't what it used to be either, so I'll, I'm going to have to forgive him a little bit for that. You know, hey, we're, we're none of us are the same guy we were ten years ago, right, Bob? Yeah. <laughs> I'm better. <laughs> that's that's debatable, but we'll go on. <laughs> As you just mentioned, there's really a lot of heat on the offensive line and on the on the coach. Uh, is Dave G that much different 
than Scar was because it almost seems like the players don't understand. And I, 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 there's not another word I can think of exactly what he wants because you're seeing players that you could rely on in the past. Volmer, uh, I, I, just look out of place. Soldier. I mean, these are guys that we came into this year feeling comfortable with. It, is his scheme that dramatically different from what Scar used? No, no, it's not. And I think that's important to remember. I mean, it's not like they're all of a sudden instituting his own blocking scheme or something completely out of the ordinary. Uh, both Bill and, and, and Logan Mankins, before he left, talked a little bit about the spring. He said there's some things that are different. You know, there's a few things here and there, but Overall, it's it's the same plan. It's the same package. I mean, this is a guy who worked in, you know, New York and in Miami for an extended period of time. With fundamentally, not exactly, but 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 basically the same offensive line mindset, the same the same makeup, and you know, the same approach and the same style. So he didn't divert all that widely from from Dante's team. He's not diverting all that widely from Dante's team. I, I just think you're seeing a combination of things, and it's it, it's almost like a domino effect because. And it's not just the Mankins thing. I know that's the easy thing, and I know people will automatically default to that, but you're looking at Ryan Wendell, who struggled over the course of the last year plus. Now, I love Ryan Wendell. He was you know, one of the really, truly important parts of this offensive line over the last couple of years, but he's a little bit undersized. He played more snaps the last two years than anyone else in the NFL. And when you think about the level of punishment that an offensive lineman takes, I just think he started to wear down. And I think... The fact that he started to wear down a little bit, I think that affected the overall line play, and I think that's been minimized a little bit. But you know, it's important to remember because he's the center; he's essentially the captain of that group. I think you take Mankins out of the mix there, I think that affects both the center position and the left tackle position because I think Solder now we're seeing a guy who really probably relied on Logan Mankins a little bit more than we all anticipated. When when all of these things start to figure into the mix. It's just like a perfect storm. You know, you, you could get by one year if, you know, you had one of them. But you're, you're seeing a combination of breakdowns up and down the offensive line, and it, it's leading to the situation that you have. You know, if, if, if you had just one situation, if you had, you know, the Mankin situation, and, and that happened, you know, you would have a period of adjustment, but you could kind of make up for it and move on. If you had Dante, you know, you know retiring, you know, you could kind of make up for it and move on. But all of these things, you know, Wendell – kind of gradually wearing down a little bit. Uh, you know, Solders, uh, maybe over-reliance on, you know, the play of Mankins. Um, all of these things are kind of collectively happening at the same time. And I think it's, like I said, kind of brought about a bit of a perfect storm for the New England offensive line, unfortunately, all at the same time. When you sit there and say perfect storm, I've been looking at it as Nate Soldier has been beat across, you know, out the around the outside a couple times, many times this year. And I, I think a lot of it has to do with is he's leaning towards his inside because he doesn't have Mankins there. But back in the early days of the uh, the Patriots and Colts rivalry, when Dwight Freeney would just eat up Matt Light, we'd see a lot of chipping from, it used to be Dan Graham at, at tight end uh, before he released into a, a pass pattern. Uh, can we see more of that to kind of help both these tackles get uh, get better pr- uh, protection for Brady? Yeah, there are ways to minimize poor offensive line play. There, there really are. I mean, none of them are absolutely ideal because you end up taking away from offensive skill position possibilities like a tight end going out on a route or, you know, if you keep another back into block, you have one less guy going out for a pass. So those are not, you know, part. those don't really kind of, you, you, you don't get a fully fleshed out offensive game plan if you end up having extra guys into block. But, but it can be done and, and it can certainly help you out. Uh, I, I think to that point, 
I think we haven't seen Rob Gronkowski at 100% quite yet. I think when Gronk is back to 100%, if, when, whatever, um, I, I think you're going to see more help from him uh, when it comes to, 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 to working as a blocker. And, and I think we, we undersell you, and we talk a lot about his ability as a pass catcher, but you know, he can work as a blocker. He's a quality blocker, and he's shown that in the past. And that's a possibility. I think also in those great offensive lines of years past, they also had a guy in Kevin Falk in the backfield who was without peer when it came to blitz pickup. And I think that has to be figured into it as well. We talked about how good these backs are. And Shane Vereen is getting better in blitz pickup, but he's not where Kevin Falk was. Um, Stephen Ridley is not where Kevin Falk was. I, I think they have a really underused guy back there um, in, in James Devlin. Not underused guy, I shouldn't say that, but, but a guy in James Devlin back there who could ultimately help them out. Um, I did a piece for um, on the Patriots for the new uh, Football Outside of Almanac, history of Football Outside of Almanac, and one of the stats we found was the Patriots gained, uh, I think it was almost an extra yard more when they ran out of two back sets, so they utilized two back sets as opposed to a one back set, which I think in, in a lot of ways is a tribute to the work of Devlin. So you have some things that you can do. In, in addition to the passing game, you know, you can work on play action, you can do some misdirection, you can do some screens, and, and they've tried to do some of that. Um, little or no success, but um, ultimately, yeah, I, I think they're going to need to help out the offensive line, and I think, you know, to, to your point, I think I think it's a, it's a great idea to be able to keep that tight end in Nate Solder's back pocket, you know, as a, as a, as a helper when he's going up against uh, the Cameron Wakes and the Khalil Max to, to try and give him a little bit of help to keep him, you know, Brady. Well, and sticking with that topic for just a minute, when you look at this year's team, and people are obviously frustrated with the offense. However, Brady, because of the poor offensive line play, doesn't have the skilled players. And you just mentioned it a minute ago because they're keeping people in the block. Um, LaFell, who broke out in the second half of the last game, but he's kept in the block. Who man really hasn't had a good year so far? I don't know whether it's injury-related or not. So, And they've been using linemen as tight ends for the very thing you just mentioned, Chris. So you you really are limited what your offense can do out there, even under the best of conditions for Brady. So although he's missed a ton of passes, and I'm not trying to let him off the hook completely, he doesn't have some of the options he's had in the past, not just because the team doesn't have talented players, and we'll get into the Aaron Dobson situation in a couple of minutes, but because to protect him, they can't put the offensive skill players on the field. Your thoughts on that a little bit? You know, it's about, I, I, may, I, I agree with you on that up to a point. I, I think when you really take a hard look at that roster and you look at the offensive skill position players that they have on that roster, they are just as good in my mind or better than anyone else in the AFC. I, I think when you really take a look at that grouping, and we're, we, we think about the passing game, in terms of just wide receivers. I think that's selling them a little bit short when you're talking about the skill position group because they have a handful of guys, like we mentioned before, Shane Vereen. Um, you know, they have some options, obviously, at tight end. So it's more of a fully fleshed out picture than just looking at the wide receivers. But if you're looking at the skill position guys, and I'm not saying the NFC, I'm not even taking the NFC into account because the NFC as a, as a group is just so far ahead of the AFC, at least at this point. Um, but I, I, when you look at Edelman, when you look at Vereen, when you look at a healthy Rob Gronkowski, when you look at you know, a Stephen Ridley, again, who ran for 1,200 yards two years ago, when you look at those guys, when you look at those four or five guys, that's better than most of the guys in the AFC. You know, they, they have more talent at the skill position areas than most other teams in the AFC across the board. And, and so 
when it comes to not having the talent, I, I don't know if I buy into that argument. I go back to the offensive line. I, I think Brady gets that time from those five guys, and they don't have to keep an extra guy in the block. If they don't have to keep an extra tight end the block, if they don't have to use a back to chip out of the backfield, uh, I think they will be able to deploy that offense accordingly. And I think ultimately with this group, and specific to the offense, They've always found it, not just specific to the offense, but across the board. I think this team does self-scouting better than most. And, and over the course of the year, they find a way to minimize their weaknesses and maximize their strengths. You know, it, it, in the end, Tom Brady has been able to paper over a lot of deficiencies. And I think one of the things that's especially distressing here is the offensive line isn't giving Brady the time to paper over those deficiencies. You know, the, the, the one trump card they always had back there was Brady. And the fact that the offensive line is struggling a little bit they don't necessarily have Brady anymore. So I, I, I think it's a little bit of both at the end of the day. So, um, yeah, I would take, take that for what it's worth. Well, Chris, uh, going towards the skill position players, we, we've heard from a guy, Aaron Dobson, the second-year player out of Marshall, who has been inactive for three out of the four games this year. And Shalise Manzi Young came out reporting that um, – he had uh, gotten to a verbal disagreement with Josh McDaniels, and, and that is the reason he couldn't get out there. And then it was refuted by Mike Reese of ESPN Boston that uh, some of his sources had said that it's, um, you know, it has more to do with uh, he hasn't shown himself in practice. We're talking about a guy who caught 37 passes last year for 519 yards and four touchdowns. Why is it so hard for him to get on the field right now? Well, I, I think it's a number of different things. I think, first of all, in this, this first I'm going to take them in no particular order of importance here, but I think the first thing that comes to mind when you're talking about this is the way they built this team, they have an extra wide receiver right now. They, you know, they, they only used to carry, I think it was like five wide receivers, but they have six or seven now on the roster, depending on what they do with Brian Tim. So you're always going to have a healthy scratch if everyone is healthy. It's like breaking camp with a baseball team with six starting pitchers. You know, inevitably, one of them is going to go down, and so, you know, you, you just have to kind of plan accordingly. And I think that's one of the situations we have here with, with Aaron Dobson and, you know, all, all of these kind of third, fourth, fifth, sixth wide receivers, they're all kind of mixed together in this morass. So um, I, I think I, Dobson is a really intriguing guy for me because here's a guy who, at least statistically, had one of the best years of any rookie any New England pass-catching rookie over the last decade or so. I mean, he's right up there with Deion Branch in terms of pure numbers, but there is a disconnect if you just look at the numbers because the majority of his passes were caught over like a three- or four-game period. I know he had – I think he, I think he had double digits in catches last year against Pittsburgh, so it might be a matchup thing. I, 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 don't, I don't really know about that. Um, it, it, it was just interesting, the, the foot issues that seemed to dog him over the course of – you know, late last season and into the off season, and kind of kept dragging into the spring and dragging into the summer. I I, I don't I don't know what to make of him sometimes. I I, I really don't. I, I'm I have no reason to dis you know to to doubt that story though from Shalise. Shalise is an excellent reporter, who uh, you know I've never known her to get a story wrong, and, and so she she she's not the sort of reporter I know. You know I have a relationship you know with her and her family. I'll, I'll say that right off the top. But I I don't I, I don't know of her you know. I've never known her to get a story like this wrong. I'll say that. So, um, again, Dobson for me is a really intriguing guy who I can't seem to understand why he can't stay on the field and, and, and be productive in this offense. I will say this, and it all goes back to – feels like everything goes back to the offensive line. Dobson is their only deep threat 
And I think the fact that Brady cannot get enough time back there to, you know, take a five or a seven step drop and just kind of heave it up. We've only seen him take a handful of throws downfield this year, and the ones we've seen him take downfield have been off the target more often than not. And so maybe that figures into it as well. But um, I, I really don't know what to make of Dobson at this point. I think he has all the talent in the world. I really do. I think. You know, you go back and you look at his college film, and, and I could see why they would be interested in him. I could see why they would go after a guy like that. He's, he's got a tremendous physical, you know, a tremendous physical skill set. Uh, you know, he, he brings this basketball mentality to the field, and that you know he was originally recruited as a basketball player, and his ability to go up and get those sorts of passes, um, you know, kind of harkens back to some of that skill set. But but ultimately, I don't know with him. I, I really don't. I, I wish I did. I, you know, I wish you could put you know, put a finger on it and say it's. It's physical, it's mental, it's an inability to grasp the playbook, uh, whatever. But I, I, I just, I, he remains a mystery to me at this point in his career. I will say this, ultimately, with him, I, I always think back to something that Anthony Pleasant told me uh, when he was with his team. He said, you know, don't judge a guy until he's been in the league three years. He's not a fully formed individual until, until, he's, been, until he's played three years in the NFL, but on an NFL roster for three years. At the end of those three years, he's pretty much going to be what he's going to be. And so my guess right now when applying that to Dobson, he's still in the evolutionary process. You know, he's still kind of learning what it means to be uh, playing NFL football and understanding what it means to play NFL football. And, you know, I, I think for the Patriots' sake, you know, they hope they figure that out sooner rather than later. You, you used the term during your answer that the number three, four, and five receivers, and you included Dobson in that group, are you putting LaFell now as the number two receiver? I would put him, as, as we sit here right now, Bob, as we sit here right now on October 2nd, 2014, Brandon LaFell is probably your number two wide receiver. And again, it, it, it's tough because the Patriots incorporate so many different elements into the passing game. But yeah, if you're speaking strictly about the wide receiver group, you have to say LaFell is your number two because based on what he did Monday night against the Chiefs and so the fact that he had a decent camp, he didn't, you know, he didn't blow anyone away, but he had a decent camp and he's been consistent, he's been steady, he's stayed healthy. Um, and, and, and Tom continues to, you know, show some show some faith in him, even though we stumbled out of the gate over those first, you know, the first uh, couple of games. So, yeah, I, I think right now, as it stands, he's your number two wide receiver, and everyone else kind of fills in around that. Well, Chris, switching sides of the ball over the defense, which I really believe is going to have to step up for this team to actually have a, a winning record this year. But in two of the last four games, uh, the rushing defenses looked absolutely putrid, of course, against the Dolphins and then last week against the Chiefs. With Giovanni Bernard this week coming up, he's a very good draw halfback and pass catcher. What can the Patriots do to stop him? You need a healthy performance out of your linebackers, I think. I think you kind of know what you have up front. And I think if you're the Patriots, you feel pretty good about your positional grouping up there. And going back and rewatching that game, I, you know, I know that, you know, they were hit on the edges a lot, particularly Chandler Jones looked really ragged against the edge, really ragged against the run in particular. Um, but you feel pretty good about where you are with, with Wilfork, with Easley, with Sillinga, um, with Jones. I'm assuming, you know, Sillinga's on a DFRIR, though. Um, uh, Chris Jones, um, Ninkovich. Uh, you, I, I think with this, I, I think I really do. I think you need a big performance out of your linebackers. You, you need Jamie Collins to show you more than he's shown over the first couple of games this year. Um, I don't know if the, the thigh is still bothering him because you know because it, it, it's they, they really put a lot of stress on defenses on three different levels, not just up front, but but 
you know, at the second level, at the linebacker spot, and, you know, in the secondary. I think the secondary is going to be okay. I think when you go back and you watch those first four games, you know, there's a number of distressing things that came out of Monday night's game in particular, you know, having to do with this New England defense. But I think the secondary is going to be okay. I, I just – you need more out of Collins. I think he struggled a little bit over the course of the first four games. And you need to see Chandler show up a little bit more, both in the pass rush uh, and when it comes to, to defending the run. Um, I, I think those two areas really are key, and those are two specific guys that I'm going to be watching Sunday just to see how they respond because I think they, they, they didn't have good nights on Monday. And I think, you know, we talked about a domino effect in, in the Patriots preach team defense better than anyone. So if, if you have a breakdown in one or two areas, chances are good you're going to have a breakdown across the board. And I think that's what happened Monday night, and they, got, they have to bounce back up this Sunday against a, a very good Bengals offense. Well, and what seemed to happen with Chandler Jones is he, for some reason, wasn't holding his lane. He was dipping inside and leaving that outside wide open and just looked out of place against the run. I, I, you know, I've been so excited about him, as has every Patriot fan, but uh, he really was caught out of position quite a few times on, on the game Monday night. You mentioned someone else in there, uh, Chris Saliga. How big, how big is the impact of his loss? And I know he's not a great player, but he's that big body that allowed Wilfork to to be able to move around a little bit instead of just playing that pure over-the-center type nose tackle. How big an impact has the loss of Saliga been to being able to stop the run? Yeah, I think that's a great point, Bob. I think that we kind of undersell that a little bit just because he's not a household name on a defense that you know has more than its share of household names. I think that when Tommy Kelly went down, you know, they, they kind of got along with what they had, you know, with both Kelly and Will Fork out. And I think Sillinga proved himself to be the best of those young defensive linemen. And I'm including Chris Jones, Joe Volano, you know, in that group and, you know, last year. And, and I think with Sillinga, Dominique Easley, uh, Chris Jones, they have a nice, you know, core of young guys. None of those guys are ever going to be confused for all pros, you know, but – I think with him, with him, and then you add easily to that mix. I think you have a really intriguing group of young guys who, who I think can do well. But yeah, Sillinga is a is a is a really good young player, and, and and I think that he proved that last year. And I think he fits well. He fits well as a complementary piece next to Wilfork. The two seem to really understand how to play off each other, and and, and I think that's still lacking a little bit. Um, in, in, in some of the other guys. But, but yeah, particularly against the run, I, I thought they were a really nice combination. I think when you take a guy like that out of the mix, you're going to put more on the shoulders of some of the other guys. That, that, that may not be, even though, like I said, they made, they made some really nice games last year, they may not be ready to, to take all of that on all at once. Switching gears here to, to the defensive backfield, it seems that uh... – well, we all kind of bash the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for not using Revis to be Revis. Uh, to, you know, line up and, and go one-on-one with wide receivers. And looking back at the first four games of the season, it doesn't seem like the Patriots are really allowing him as much to go one-on-one with wide receivers. They're, they're having him play eight to nine yards off the ball. When is Matt Patricia going to dial something up for pressure and let – Revis just take on his wide receiver and let everyone else worry about the other side of the field. Great question. I think, and I wrote about this today for for com. The Patriots have to let Revis be Revis. You know, there's a couple of different things at play here. First of all, um, the directive that came down from up top was very clear, um, and, and it's a phrase that we used before, and I won't use the phrase. I'll just kind of spell it out. Um, the old GTFB, 
that, that burned them so many times over the last couple of years, Patriots determined this year that that wasn't going to to, to affect them. And, and we've, we've seen that in the numbers. They've been very good. I, I think they're sixth in the league in the fewest pass plays over 20 yards allowed. They haven't allowed a single pass play of over 40 yards, which is tied for the best in the league. Now, that's great, but at the same time, that comes at a price. You have guys playing off the ball. You have guys playing more zone coverage um, and allowing more stuff underneath. I think what the Patriots have to do is tweak the scheme a little bit, and they have to, to understand that, it, that, you know, like I said, let Rivas be Rivas. Let him man up for this, you know, as an example. Let him man up against A.J. Green this week 60 times and just take away half the field and just kind of play, you know, play, you know let the rest of the game play out around him. Uh, I, I think that some of it is that, some of it's the, the GTFB, and, and some of it is also, frankly, Belichick's experimentation that he likes to do early in the year with a lot of guys. Like, we see Chandler Jones drop into coverage. You know, we see Kyle Arrington kind of play more of a hybrid corner safety kind of a role. Um, I, I think you need to lock guys in because you don't have the same luxury going forward that you had early in the season where you could kind of try things out and do some different things and try some different looks and some different schemes. I think you need to, you know, put Rebus on A.J. Green, put Rebus on, you know, whoever, Mike Wallace, put Rebus on whoever, you know, Keenan Allen going forward. I think that's got to be the plan. And I think, you know, that will allow other things to kind of start to fall into place for them defensively through the safety with that. Well, and when you look at the team, you mentioned a couple of points there. Actually, it's hard to believe after that game Monday night. But right now they're first in passing yards per game. They're only giving up 185.5. Now, part of that is because teams have been able to run roughshod over them. Uh, But even in total yards, they're fourth in the NFL. So I think most of the fans are thinking that defense, and I know I am, so I guess I'll jump myself in with that category, defense is going to be the key to this team in the long run and being able to to get that defense to gel, kind of hoping that the other night was a, a little bit of an, an anomaly. But despite that poor, for, uh, poor performance on Monday night, that's going to be the key to keeping them in the game. So what adjustments do you see them making? Number one, with the return of Brandon Browner, will that have any impact? And what can you tell us about Chandler Jones and Dante Hightower's injuries? Uh, I, I think that, that the, the Jones and Hightower injuries are not – they're not serious. I don't know the extent of their injuries, and I don't know how much is going to affect them, but it's not like we're looking at a, you know, them being out for a handful of weeks going forward. I do think the Browner thing is going to give them a boost. I, I, I think that, and again, we, we said it before, there's, there's a handful of things to worry about this team. I, I think the defense will eventually you know, come into form, and I think they're going to have to win some, some rock fights. I think they're going to have to win some 17-10 to 10 games where the defense – you know, gives the offense short field. They're able to make some plays. They're able to run an interception or two back and, you know, put up points that way as well. But I think the Browner thing is going to be really interesting for them because I think Logan Ryan struggled a little bit. As, you know, uh, I think maybe a little bit too much was put on his plate. I think he played relatively well over the course of his first year plus year in New England. But I think Browner's going to give them an added dimension. I think he's going to come back this week. Uh, and, I, and I'm really interested to see how he plays alongside Rebus and, and how that combination works and how that affects the overall pass defense. Well, Chris, uh, final question here from me, and it uh, it goes to the weekly game we've been playing, the uh, guess who it's going to be and the weekly inactives that come out 90 minutes before every Patriots game. And I look at a guy like uh, Brandon Bolden, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Brandon Bolton, yes. Uh, who <laughs> You forgot his name, my God. <laughs> I yeah. forgot his name because I can't stand the guy that much. <laughs> um, 
he was active last week, but really didn't see the field. It, they started to finally use James White, the uh, rookie fourth rounder out of Wisconsin. Do you see him at, at, as getting knocked out for numbers wise? Because I mean, basically they talk about him being such a value on special teams, yet he has no special teams tackles, and they don't. He only plays on kick return, not punt return. So he plays on kick return. And they don't exactly return kicks very much in the NFL anymore. Could he finally be the odd man out? You know, I, I think that it's tough to measure good special teams play. I honestly believe that. It's one of the things that I've learned over the course of my career here covering the league, that just because you don't see a guy come up with special teams tackles doesn't necessarily mean he's not doing his job on special teams. A lot of that is tied to speed. A lot of that is tied to maybe taking up an extra block or two. A lot of that is tied to disruption. So, I don't know in terms of overall special teams value um, where I would rate Brandon Bolden. I, I will say this. In my experience, I, I, and ultimately at the end of the day, I, I don't think that they're utilizing their backs enough. I, I think Bolden has something to offer. Um, as a backup, I think really right now he is fundamentally Stephen Ridley insurance. If Ridley has ball security issues, he's, he's the one guy that you could probably turn to, at least in the short term, as a get you over kind of a placeholder there as a feature back who could you know you could you could put the ball in his belly twenty times and you know hopefully you'd get four yards to carry and be able to move the chains that way. Um I, I love James White. I think he's a fantastic young talent and I think he's a great guy. I mean a chance to spend some time you know talking to him in the locker room. I think the Patriots would prefer James White to fundamentally take a redshirt year this year and kind of learn about life in the NFL. I mean they they've done it with a handful of guys over the years, including Shane Green when he was a rookie, so those are just my two cents when it comes to Bolden and White and, you know, who would make for, you know, a, a better contributor at this point. I think White is great, but I think White still has a lot to learn about life in the NFL. And, and I think Bolden, even in a limited role, you could find some value for him in the, in the, in the running game as well as special teams. That is not the answer that Jeff wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Although he did talk glowingly about running backs, so I'll give him a, I'll give him fifty percent grade on that. My final, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. My final question uh, for you, Chris, and I appreciate your coming on again tonight. This is the first time in many years the team seems unprepared. Uh, we talked about the first series when when we first started talking to you, and they are they they almost seem unable to make adjustments on a fly. In, in all facets of the game this year. Is is this a lack of talent, poor coaching, a combination of both, or is something else happening out there? Well, I think there's something to the idea of execution. I, I will also say this. The four teams that they played this year, um, to this point, and, and I'm trying to think of, the, yeah, in, in two of them uh, have new coordinators, um, the, the, the Vikings and the Dolphins. And I think that was a bit of a surprise, a little bit of feeling of the unknown, that they weren't quite sure what they were going up against. I think they had a good idea, but they weren't completely sure. And I think in the Vikings game, it kind of took them a while to find their footing a little bit. Uh, in the Dolphins game, you know, they, they, they came out well. And then, you know, the Dolphins kind of caught them by surprise in the second half, and we saw, the, you know, the result that we did. So maybe that's part of it as well. Um, but but I, I ultimately think it comes down to execution. And I think it comes down to – to, to some game planning as well, as we talked about at the start, where, you know, the, the way that, that Josh McDaniel was calling the game, I think there's some questions there. I, I also think, too, that, you know, maybe you don't need to rely as much on versatility. You know, we, we, we discussed the idea of, you know, Revis, you know, what to do with Revis, and, you know, do you want Chandler Jones dropping into coverage and that kind of stuff. I think that you need to start finding roles for guys 
maximizing their strengths, minimizing their weaknesses, and, and putting them in positions where they could succeed, as opposed to just kind of, you know, seeing what works and, and seeing if this works and seeing if it doesn't work. I don't think this team has the sort of luxury that it had in years past where they could do that sort of experimentation early in the year. I think, you know, we're four games in now, and, and I think you need to start realizing that you're, you're entering, at least in the next couple weeks, you're really entering the tough part of your schedule. And, you know, if you want to be in contention for one of those top two seeds in the AFC, which if they figure out a way to, you know, kind of minimize their weaknesses, I, I think they still have a shot at But I, I think that they need to start thinking about the big picture sooner rather than later. Well, thank you very much, Chris, for joining us tonight on uh, Patriots Beat. Of course, this is uh, Chris Price I've been talking with from WEEI.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at CPriceNFL. Chris, thanks so much. My pleasure, guys. Take care, and we'll talk soon. Great stuff there by our friend Chris Price over at WEEI.com. And normally, uh, one of our interviews would be brought to you by uh, our Pat's Beat Stitcher or Pat's Beat iTunes, but... Tonight's, uh, tonight's interview with uh, Chris Price from WEEI.com is uh, brought to you by, I'm going to say his wife, and his wife has an amazing story. I invite everyone to go and uh, follow her on, uh, on Twitter at, at KP Advocacy, and please go to her website, www.gofundme.com forward slash support KP Advocacy. Um, very very tough thing here that uh, that Miss Kate Price went through. Gutsy woman, uh, very gutsy woman, and uh, just an amazing story. And I, I would just like to say right now, on behalf of uh, CLS Radio and uh, Patriots Beat, uh, we are going to donate twenty five dollars tonight to um, Kate Price and and her donation here. And I invite all of our uh, listeners to please go to www gofundme.com support kp advocacy and please donate it is a very great cause uh we've seen so many people with so many unbelievable stories uh with everything and this is one of those stories that um you know when it was brought to my attention by uh by bob snowden here um it, it really strung to my heart strings right there and uh, as i said thank you chris and, and thank you kate for everything that you guys uh both do and we'll be donating uh right after our podcast today well chris hit a lot of the subjects that we mentioned earlier before he came on and in disagreed with you on something. We won't go into detail on that, but um, I, I know uh, right. you, you right. were a little unhappy when he said that that a certain running back actually is valuable to the team. But I'm not going to let you get off on that tangent, even though I let no, you No, no, I won't. I, I won't. I won't. It's, it's good for number 38. Number 38 in your program, number 7,222 in your heart. All right, so they're, they're playing the Bengals this week. We talked about the defense and adjustments that had to be made and everything. When you look at the Bengals, you know they they've got seven sacks and have not allowed a sack. Now seven's not a huge number. Keep in mind they've only played three games, but they haven't allowed a sack. A little over two a game. A little over two a game. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, and I remember last time we played them, Geno Atkins just killed us. He hasn't had a sack yet this year. I'm, I'm, has he been out injured, Jeff? Because I'm not sure. I don't think so, but, but he ruined the Patriots last year. Uh, Ryan Wendell and and Dan Connolly and Logan Mankins were turnstiles. I mean, they turned around with like, "Hey, Tom, watch out!" <laughs> Thirteen to six last year. Remember that that monsoon at the end of the game? They couldn't get 
anything going. Luckily, it's uh, it's in Foxborough uh, this week because it's going to be a tough game. It really is going to be a tough game. Right now, I mean, I'll say it right now, Cincinnati, before their bye week, they were playing as good as anyone in the NFL. Yeah, they they have to be. You look at the NFC, and I think all of us acknowledge, as Chris said during the interview, that the skill level in the NFC is definitely, among the top teams, a notch above any of the AFC teams, including uh, you know Denver, our favorite enemy. But Cincinnati, who has been horrendous in playoffs, so far, to me, is either number one, two, or three in the AFC, and we'll see whether they can continue to that for the year. But when you look at them, I don't see a real weakness on on that team. No, I don't either. And I'm going to sit here right now, and I'm not. I'm going to say that the, the Cincinnati Bengals aren't going to look at the Patriots' performance last week against the Kansas City Chiefs and say, you know, and, and look past them. Because right now, this, this game for Cincinnati – as big as it is for New England to to win this game, to have to win this game, because they got an extremely tough schedule coming up um, after uh, the Jets and the Bills coming up after that, but they got an extremely tough stretch coming up. As big as it is for the Patriots to come out and win this game, it's just as big, if not bigger, for the Cincinnati Bengals. They've made the playoffs in the last three seasons and have been bounced, one and done. They got to look at this team, the New England Patriots, and while the Patriots right now are not the Patriots of old, it's still a game in Gillette Stadium. It's still on football night in America, Sunday night football. It's still a measuring stick for the Cincinnati Bengals. They got to be looking at that. Marvin Lewis has got to be looking at this uh, game and saying to his guys, all right, guys. This is the New England Patriots. This is a team that has 13 straight winning seasons. This is a team that has been to five Super Bowls and won three of them. We need to go up there and show our dominance and beat the New England Patriots at home if we're going to be considered one of the best teams in the NFL. And I don't know, no matter what happens Sunday night, unless there is just a 100% reversal that when the Patriots walk out of this game, we'll have a lot of answers because this is a good team. It's going to be a hard team to get the answers we want. Um, and, you know, the, in past years, the Patriots always had a game they went into that people were worried about, and they would put together their best game and blow someone out that we didn't think they were going to. And I just don't think this year's team is capable of doing that. Uh, and and I this Sunday night I, I again I'm hoping we all walk away happy. I'll be happy with a one point win. I got to tell you, anything that is yes. a win is going to satisfy me. I don't care how poorly they play; they can play piss poor as long as they walk away with a win because this is a good team they're playing. Very good team, and you wonder how the Patriots are going to attack them. I mean, we saw last week when the Patriots came out with. You know, basically five running backs, only three true wide receivers. And I remember sitting there talking to you uh, before the game saying, if the Patriots are going to do anything, this looks like it's going to be an established to run type of type of game plan. And they came out and went three and out for the second week in a row. In fact, they've gone three and out um, to, to start every 
game this season, I believe. But second game in a row with a three and out with three straight passes, didn't even try to establish the run game. Looking at these Cincinnati Bengals and their NFL ranks, of course you mentioned first in the league in points with only 11 points per game. That is scary there, Bob. Uh, But, you know, as an overall stat here, they seem to be more of a bend but don't break defense. Strictly looking at the numbers, because they're middle of the pack everywhere else, 352.7 yards per game, good for 14th overall. Pass yards per game, letting up 239, 15th overall. And rush yards a game, 17th overall, letting up 113.3 yards per game. I'm going to say you've got to attack these guys on the ground because as Chris Price uh, talked about and as he as he wrote in a, in a wonderful article about running the ball, the Patriots are 39-1 and when they rush the ball for more than 100 yards. And, of course, if you've ever read my great article, <laughs> Three Yards in a Cloud of Must, you'll realize that when the Patriots run the ball 30 or more times in a game, they're undefeated over the last two-plus years. So... It's going to be, let's run the ball at these guys. It, to me, Jeff, it's got to be balanced. I want them to run it. I want yes. them to, but I don't want to see them come out and run, run, run three and out. It depends on that first run. If they only gain a couple of yards on the first run, they got to think about it a little bit. And I'm not saying go long. My, my frustration is a lot of times they're going long on that second down, and then they're unable to make the first down when it's third and three or more. Exactly, and here's where I sit here, Bob. I'd like to see them come out and establish the running game and the power offensive line. It's what uh, Googe in his previous stops in the New York Jets and the Miami Dolphins, the New York Giants, was able to do is, is get monstrous lines that could push and really hit and get physical. And I think with this young offensive line, I mean, let's face it, Logan Mankins was in his 30s. Now all your starters are nowhere near 30. I mean, Sebastian Vollmer's your oldest uh, you know, offensive lineman, and he was a 2009 second-round draft pick. So we're talking about a guy who has you know five, six years' experience in the NFL here. And you've got two rookies that are probably going to be starting on that offensive line. Uh, in Stork and Fleming, and both of them are big guys. Let's let's push against the offense, you know, push against that defensive line and establish something right here because, let's face it, it's a lot easier to get out of a three-point stance and charge forward than it is to get out of a three-point stance and go into pass blocking, especially with Geno Atkins, who, as you mentioned, has not got a sack. Let's see them do that. And let's get them, see them get into third and manageable. Too many times this year, you know, third and eight, third and nine, and and all they got to do is double cover Danny Amendola. I'm saying Danny Amendola. <laughs> That's easy. Shoot, I can uh, do that. But I, you know what? They got they, like Danny Amendola ought to be the starting end guard and tackle. He should start at the end, of, sit on the end of the bench, guard the water, and tackle anyone who goes to get it. But no, all they have to do is is uh, you know double team Julian Edelman. And Brady has no one else to throw to. So you know what else? You know what else scares me a little bit, and and it's you're going to jump all over this and agree. I know it'll play calling even when they run. There was this God. I the the game's starting to run together with me. But I remember there was a second and goal or a third and goal, and they ran wide. 
They gave it oh. to Vereen and went wide with it. And he was actually tackled for a one-yard loss. And it's like those are the ones, like you're saying, let your offensive line do their job, and it's easier. And it's also one of the skills that Ridley has shown is the ability when you need that short yardage to get it up the middle. And he, for some reason, he's running wide on plays like that, which gives the defense, they're slow developing, and gives the defense an opportunity to to react to the run. And it's not just that they're not running, but they seem, you know, who am I as as an offensive coach? It's obviously not of the the level of NFL by any figment of the imagination. But when you're watching a game, you go, why are you going east and west right now? You ought to be going north and south. Oh, exactly. And it's killing me because they're not establishing any kind. I mean, they come out and they're running out of shotgun. I mean, I understand, and maybe it's at the point now where the Patriots are just not that good of a team and they have to trick you by going into shotgun and running. But as as Chris Price came out and said, the Patriots, out of a two-back set, are averaging a yard more per carry. So what is wrong with coming out, you know, in, in, in 22 personnel, 21 personnel, two backs, getting out there and, and just slamming against that line, James Devlin doing a good job, and establishing a running game, which in turn will establish what you need to do in the uh, play-action game. You know, the play-action game is not going to work if you're not running the ball. And from there, you can work the two wide receiver sets and the three wide receivers and, and, and work what happens. guy I want to talk about here, Bob, um, is Tim Wright. Because we saw him on the field a little more last week. He, he I mean, he didn't come away with any receptions. But I really think that they need to start – I mean, it's been five weeks now that he's been with this team. Let's start working him, him in a little bit more. Well, I, you know I've felt that way for a while, but I understand the limited snaps, as we talked about with Chris, because they're bringing in protection packages for Brady, and he is not a good blocker. He's not known as a good blocker. But darn it all, if you run the ball and you use play action, the blocking is critical, but the defense isn't pinning back their ears on every play, and it just seems like they're doing that, and even when they're only rushing four, no one is stopping anyone, and, and Brady's getting happy feet, and we'll go down that road in a little bit. I'm also, when, it, when I look at the team on offense, I, one of the things they were known for, and, and they were among the first teams in the NFL to do it, was the hurry-up offense. Now, I understand there are limitations when you've got new players on the hurry-up offense, and it may hurt you on some elements of the game, but you match up, you get the, the defense tired. They, I don't think they've used the hurry-up offense more than five times the whole season so far. Is that because Brady doesn't know or the players don't know it well enough or uncomfortable enough? Because to me, that's another way to maybe slow down the rush is get them tired. They're not, the defense is getting tired because the offense isn't staying on the field. Well, I think one of the things we could really look at with that Noah Huddle is personnel here, Bob. Because when they were so good at the Noah Huddle, I mean, you had 
I mean, let's look back at the at the 2011 team and the 2012 team, two teams that were very good with that no huddle. The 2012 team uh, was extremely good, but they had the personnel out there of Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez at your tight ends. They ran two wide receivers in uh, Wes Welker, and one year was Deion Branch, the following year was Brandon Lloyd, and then they had a running back in there. And they could go out, and the running back happened to usually be either uh, Danny Woodhead, who was phenomenal, or, uh, you know, it was Ben Jarvis Green Ellis in 2011, 2012, it was Stephen Ridley, but you still had Danny Woodhead uh, to come in and, and move things around. Well, they were able to line up, uh, and you remember they used to put uh, Hernandez in at fullback sometimes, and they could run out of a two, t- uh, two tight end set. You know, an ace set, or they could put Hernandez in the slot, or they'd even go five wide, and it was all without having to change the personnel. Well, now, I mean, you don't even, you don't even know who your number two wide receiver is, even though, uh, you know, our friend Chris Price had said that it looks like it could be um, LaFell, but Gronk's not all the way back, and I still think it'll be, you know, a couple more weeks before we see him all the way back. But tell me who those other players are. Tell me who that second wide receiver is. Tell me that Stephen Ridley can catch the ball out of the backfield and go wide. You know, we know Shane Vereen can do it. But just tell me, you know, what they can do to be able to get that hurry-up offense. And, and you know what, as much as I loved the hurry-up offense, right now I just want a sustained drive. But that's what to me the hurry-up offense gave them that especially on those first possessions. And and when you talk about the talent, I'm not saying that Wright is anywhere near what Hernandez was as a football player. Hopefully he's not like him in any other way either. But He loves that <laughs> crystal meth yeah. or whatever the hell he was on. But Let's shoot people. This, this, That's a great idea. The ability to catch the ball or move with the ball, he has that. So, And I agree, Gronk is not what he was, but for a short burst off the line with the hurry-up offense, if you've got both him and Wright in there, Brady should be able to release quickly. And you mentioned Vereen in the backfield. Uh, you know, you want to look at Edelman. Edelman can do pretty much now everything that Welker was doing back then. So I think he does have the skilled players. Now, I'm going to go back to what I said to Chris. A lot of times those players aren't on the field because they're trying to max protect Brady. And I know Chris disagreed a little bit on some of the things I was saying, but now I'm agreeing with him. I do think they've got some talent. I just don't think the talent is being put in a position to win, and and Brady may not have confidence in the line, but on that hurry-up, when when the defense had to react to it, they could not put on the pressure that they're putting on Brady. And again, I'm not saying they have great talent, and I'm not saying they ought to do the hurry up every game for half the game. But I do think it has its place with this lineup. And if you remember, when they used to use it was opening the game on their first drive. The Patriots were known for that quick, choreographed, hurry-up offense. Everybody knew what the first 10 plays were going to be, and eight out of 10 times, they marched the ball downfield. And I, I just would like to see them use that as another tool 
to try and keep the defense off balance because defenses right now know what the Pats are going to do. Let's face it, the, the, the Patriots' offense is pretty vanilla right now. It is, and that starts at the top with uh, Mr. McDaniels. Honestly, I really, you know, I'm not going to go off on a huge tangent here, but I really think Josh McDaniels can should go over and buy Randy Moss and Tom Brady and Wes Welker, you know, new houses because he's the reason that not only was he became the the offensive uh, coordinator again with the New England Patriots, but the reason he got his job in Denver. Uh, was because of what he did, and, and and let's face it, he got the job after 2008 with Matt Castle. That team was stacked. You know, I could have been the uh, quarterback and 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 got them to four and twelve. But you, you must know? admit he's an extremely bright young man, because everybody says he is. And hell, oh, he's yeah. the one. He's the reason Tim Tebow was drafted into the NFL, which just shows how brilliant a mind he is. Exactly. That's why Patrick uh, Shankauer will not say a bad word about Josh McDaniels. But let's let, you know what. Let's switch the sides to the other side of the ball. Because last year, yes, the Patriots did lose thirteen to six in Cincinnati, but they held them to thirteen points. Here, now we're talking two different years. But the Patriots were able to hold the Cincinnati Bengals to 13 points. If they can do that Sunday night, it'll be impressive. It'll be something that they'll need to do to win. And if you remember last year, what Belichick did is he actually, Belichick and Matt Patricia, we always don't mention Matt Patricia as the defensive coordinator, but they put Aqib Tlaib on A.J. Green the entire time and let him play man-to-man defense with Brandon Browner coming back this week, I could see the New England Patriots actually playing more man here and being able to stop the Cincinnati Bengals. I think that's the only way that they can stop the Cincinnati Bengals is if they let Darrell Revis match up against A.J. Green. Hell, we're paying the guy $12 million a year to match up against the best uh, wide receiver out there. We remember what Aqib Tlaib was able to do. Let's see what it happens now. Let me ask you something, Jeff. I, honestly, do you think ego is maybe getting in the way a little bit this year? McDaniel's ego with the Dobson scenario and oh, Belichick and, and his feeling that he can make no mistakes in his judgment on the talent or on his coaches, that he's infallible in that area. Are those egos kind of getting in the way of this year's team, do you think? I'm, I'm wondering. I, I really am wondering that. I I don't know. It, it's tough because we've seen it in the past. And granted, you know, you cannot judge a book by its cover. The Patriots are, are at the cover. We're the, we're the first chapter of the of the New England Patriots 2014 season. We cannot judge until it's until it's all over. And granted, we have we've had you know we've had the murder mystery now. They they've they. Traded Logan Mankins, you know that that was that's the murder. The mystery is, can they survive? So you know we, we got to wait till the, that final page to see if you know see who did it, what they did. Maybe egos are getting in the way, and, and I just I don't find Josh McDaniels to be, and we've used this word so many times before, balanced, and his ego, and and you can put that ego on Mister uh, Brady as well. You know, number 12 out there, he he wants to prove that he's still a top-five quarterback, which 
this year he's he's a bottom five quarterback. So maybe it is ego out there. But it, I, I wonder, because Belichick always sits there and says, I'm going to do what's in the best interest of the team. And I can't imagine that he would let his own ego get in the way. Um, and they brought in a lot of great – I mean, this defense has the chance to be amazing. And, and, and maybe Chris was right when he says that Belichick likes to try things out at the beginning of the season to see what works. Well, well now it's time to really, on offense and defense, to just get back to basics. I yeah. mean, how many missed tackles did we see uh, Monday night? How many slips did we see on Monday night? Let's, let's blame the, uh, let, let's blame the uh, equipment manager. Let's, let's get some longer cleats <laughs> out there. Well, looking at, you know, you, you mentioned Brady, and we talked to him a little bit with Chris about him, too. But one of the stats I, I saw ESPN stats release this week is that he's missing his targets either over or under thrown 26% of his, his throws. That's the third highest percentage in the NFL. Flat it's horrible. missing his targets. And, and he's one for 16 on passes over 20 yards. And, and his passing percentage is under 60%, even on overall passing. Yes, it's better as it gets into short yardage. But is this it? Do you think, Brady, this could possibly be Brady's last year? Yes, I, I do. I, I, I think this could possibly be Brady's last year. And, you know, I said it not just because of, of what we've seen. I've, I've actually, and I, I'm pretty sure I've been on record on this show. I know I've been on uh, our friend Murph's show, uh, Hump Day, and I said it there that I don't think Tom Brady is going to finish his career with the New England Patriots. If this season blows up in the New England Patriots' face, I mean, absolutely just goes down the tube, and it could. If the Patriots lose this week here and, and go to 2-3, and three, uh, they have a home game against the Jets uh, in two weeks, uh, coupled in between a, a away game against the Buffalo Bills, and then it's, it's go time. I mean, it's the, the Chicago Bears, it's um, the Indianapolis Colts, the Denver Broncos, uh, San Diego Chargers, Green Bay Packers are on there. If this if this season makes a turn for the worse, it could be a chance that Belichick just says, "All right, I'm blowing this thing up," and, and they blow it up and they see what they can get for Tom Brady. Which, you know, if you listen to the QB pundits out there, if you listen to the Trent Dilfer's of the world, and you listen to the Steve Youngs of the world that have played the the position in the NFL, they still think that. Brady, given the protection, could lead a team to a Super Bowl. You might be able to get a, you know, a first-round draft pick from him. Look at a team like the Arizona Cardinals. What you could get uh, from them. I mean, they're a, they're really a quarterback away from being amazing. Um, so yeah, I could see the uh, I could see this if this season went down the crapper. That it could possibly be Tom Brady's last hurrah in New England. Well, you saw Belichick do something this past Monday night that I don't believe he did in the entire time Ryan Mallett was the, the backup quarterback in that with still quite a bit of time left in the game, he bought in the backup quarterback and gave Garoppolo a chance to play. And I don't, did, did Mallett ever get that much playing time in one regular season game? No, he didn't. But the question you really have to ask yourself is, 
where they ever beat that bad when yeah, Ryan Mount was here. I, I can't. I mean, Brady doesn't come off the field when they're winning. I, I think the last real blowout that I can quite remember was uh, in 2010 uh, when the Patriots didn't show up against the, the, the Cleveland Browns. Um, I think they lost 37 to 17 or something like that. Um, I remember hating Rob Gronkowski after that game because it was after a touchdown. They went with a like a pooch kick, and Gronkowski played it bad, and, and they scored. Next thing you know, it was fourteen yep. to nothing. Um, but I don't know. Well, that's I, it, true. Although I, it will be interesting to see. Although I, I'll be honest with you, I don't see them having any blowouts with this year's offense. But it'll be interesting to see if they do have a blowout, true blowout. No, it is. It will, and whether I, you know they what? give Garoppolo a shot. I mean, you can't call the Minnesota game a blowout despite the final score. That no, really it was. Yeah, and the offense didn't gel that whole game. It was the defense that made it go. So they were still trying to work on that first team offense and get them get them in sync with each other. But it will be interesting to see if not when if they have a blowout game offensively, whether Garoppolo gets some playing time at the end. I was just kind of surprised. Uh, pleasantly so, that he came in, and we've talked about how well he played. I also got a kick out of, and and you know Belichick is never going to answer any deep questions about the team, about the attitude, about anything. And he was kind of grilled about Tom Brady and the talent around him. And and (laughs) the answer, the stock answer from Belichick was, we're on to Cincinnati, no matter what the question was. And then he had one where he expanded on a little bit. He said, we're going to game plan to do the best we can to be ready to go Sunday night. Same as we always do. Nothing has changed. <laughs> it's like, no, he, he will not answer any question relative. And, and I, I was getting a kick out of someone had written in, I want to say it was to Mike Reese on his chat, and said, why don't the the reporters force him to answer the question and ask. <laughs> Obviously, those people have never been at a press conference. You can ask till you blew in the face, and he's just going to blow you off. So yep. so there's no sense in asking some questions. Well, Bob, let's let's take a page out of Bill Belichick's book, and let's on in Cincinnati as we, as we end the podcast today. And uh, all right, Sunday night, it's a big game for the New England Patriots, putting you on the spot. What do you think? Well, and you mentioned Honor Cincinnati, and I'm going to say something real quick uh, because there's something going on in Cincinnati, which is really nice, too, and that's defensive tackle Davon uh, Still and and the issues his child has had and uh, the fans are buying his shirt. They've sold 10,000 of his jerseys. Uh, it's number 75, by the way, uh, as a tribute to the defensive lineman and his four-year-old daughter, Leah, who suffers from pediatric cancer. So I, I did want to mention that real quickly, too, but yes. that that is one of the good things that the Cincinnati team is doing. And they actually, he was released, and they bought him back to their practice squad just so he could get the insurance. And I believe Sean Payton from the uh, uh, from the New Orleans Saints, if I remember correctly, uh, bought twenty five thousand dollars worth of his shirts. Yep. Twenty five thousand of his shirts. Yeah. Uh, you know, we we've talked so much about bad things in the NFL that this is one of those good things yep. that you uh, you can see coming yep. out of the NFL. So wow. all right. So now I'm ready. You've to had your chance. Kick. Little drum roll, please. <laughs> God, that was terrible. You made fun of me last week when I said they were only going to score 10 points. 
on offense. And they ended up with 14, but let's face it, the last touchdown really, and, and all of them were garbage points. All 14 were garbage points. This week, I'm looking at this Cincinnati defense, and I'm going to say the Patriots are going to score 14 points. And deep breath here, I think they're going to hold Cincinnati to 13. Whoa! 14 to 13 Pats. 14 to 13 New England Patriots. And Cincinnati's a one-point favorite despite it being in New England. Exactly. So, wow. All right, Bob. You always, uh, you know, say I'm wishy-washy. And then I, that I, you know, pick and then I change and I pick and then I change and then when our when our weekly pick'em comes out, I, I I change. Well, I didn't last week, and I won that game. Yes, I won that game. Might be one of the only we ones that I did. won. Cause we I know. I'm, I think we were the only two that picked the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm thinking bounce back game here for the New England Patriots. I'm picking the New England Patriots to win also this week. Um, I'm a little more optimistic than you. I'm picking the Patriots 21 to 17. I can buy. Um, I'll buy it. I'm, I'm feeling the New England Patriots win this game 21 to 17, and I really believe that it'll finally they will finally establish some balance because they're going to have to. Well, they have to learn from their mistakes. If they're not going to learn from their mistakes, it's going to be a long season. It definitely is. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to the Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Radio uh, Network. You can, of course, uh, download us uh, anytime you like by going to www.clnsradio.com slash iTunes and www.clnsradio.com slash Stitcher. Download us there. Of course, rate us, review, and subscribe. We've seen the ratings, reviews, and subscriptions uh, really start to climb through the roof. We really appreciate that. And, Bob, did you realize that there's a lot of lady friends out there that think I'm devilishly handsome? I saw handsome? that. I was I wasn't going to mention that. You ob- obviously, they are people that knew you many years ago when you may have been that <laughs> way. And I know you've lost a ton of weight, and congratulations on that. I don't know if we've mentioned that on the air, but you're going to have to change your handle, Boston. Fat guy may not work for much longer. Well, it will be the artist formerly known as Boston yeah, Fat Guy. Go. I, got, <laughs> I, got a long, I got a long way to go, and I'd actually um, – you know what? I, I'd actually like to give a little shout-out to uh, my friend Terry Moore, um, who actually introduced me to um, – she's a Beachbody coach – and introduced me to uh, P90X3. Um, look out! Look out for go to uh, go to Facebook.com. Uh, search Terry Moore. You'll you'll see the Beachbody coach. She's done uh, she's done some good things for me, um, and we'll move on from there. Uh, but definitely check her out. Well, congratulations! You've done a good job. I I got another fifty to go. Got another fifty to go before I feel really good about myself. But uh, yes. Um, anyways, join myself and Patrick Shankauer after the game on Sunday. Hopefully, we'll be talking about the New England Patriots victory. And as always, for Bob Snowden, I'm Jeff Kane. This has been Patriots Me. Thank you very much, everyone. We'll see you next week. Have a great weekend, everyone.
first choice for Internet Sports Talk Radio, CLNS Radio.